0: All right, church family, if you would open up in God's Word to Genesis chapter 39. It's going to be our passage for today. title of our sermon is, When Right Seems Wrong, When Right Seems Wrong, Genesis chapter 39, Genesis 39. It says, God's Word, you follow along in your copy as I read. Let's enjoy the Word of God. From the time that he made him overseer in his house and over all that he had, the Lord blessed the Egyptians' house for Joseph's sake. The blessing of the Lord was on all that he had, in house and field. So he left all that he had in Joseph's charge, and because of him he had no concern about anything but the food he ate. Now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. And after a time, his master's wife cast her eyes on Joseph and said, lie with me. But one day when he went into the house to do his work and none of the men of the house was there in the house, she caught him by his garment saying, lie with me. But he left his garment in her hand and fled and got out of the house. And as soon as she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and had fled out of the house, she called to the men of her household and said to them, see, he has brought among us a Hebrew to laugh at us. He came in to look to me to lie with me. And I cried out with a loud voice. And as soon as he heard that I lifted up my voice and cried out, he left his garment beside me and fled and got out of the house. Then she laid up his garment by her until his master came home. And she told him the same story, saying, The Hebrew servant whom you have brought among us came in to me to laugh at me. But as soon as I lifted up my voice and cried, he left his garment beside me and fled out of the house. As soon as his master heard the words that his wife spoke to him, This is the way your servant treated me. His anger was kindled. Heavenly Father, would you help us to understand your word, help us to love your word, help us to love you, the author of your word, and help us to put your word into practice so that we can bring honor and glory to you. Father, take us to Jesus through your word. Lord, we need him. We need him to save us. We need him to forgive us. We need his strength and presence in us to represent him well, to honor him. As we seek to live for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Have you ever done something wrong, then you suffered the consequences, and then you thought, well, I guess I was just getting what I deserved? You were honest with yourself, you said, I was just getting what I deserved. All of us have found ourselves in that circumstance st- probably many times in life. Have you ever done something right, and you were blessed kind of with the reward of, of doing what was right? in in your life. Hopefully that's true of of us today. We've experienced that blessing that comes when we make the right choice and we avoid the consequences that come when we sin. We've all experienced that circumstance as well. But have you ever done what was right and then suffered for it? Not done what was wrong and suffered, not done what was right and were, were rewarded, but done what was right and then suffered for it. Those first two circumstances make sense. Even if we don't like the suffering that comes when we make wrong choices, it still makes sense. You, you, you do something wrong, and you suffer the consequences. And obviously, we're fine with the other. With you do something right, you experience the reward. But that third circumstance, that one is tough. When you do what is right, but then life just seems to get worse, that one's, that one's hard to make sense of. It's hard to understand. It can make us question whether or not it's even worth it to do what is right. It can even make us sometimes question what is right and what is wrong. And it's that third circumstance that we find taking place in Genesis chapter 39. In this chapter, we see Joseph experiencing a roller coaster of circumstances. He is in slavery at no fault of his own. God blesses him. Then he faces intense temptation that just won't seem to go away. And then he overcomes the temptation he does what is right, but then he seems to be rewarded with what? A worsening of his circumstances. When we look at it from his perspective, his shifting circumstances may leave us scratching our heads wondering if it's even worth it to do what is right when it feels like we're being punished for trying to do what is right in God's eyes. Is it even worth it? I'm sure you've been there before. Maybe you've said something like this, God, I just can't see that that how what I'm doing and trying to do what is right is benefiting me any in this instance. How come things just seem to be getting worse the more and more I try to do the right thing? Have you ever been there before? Have you ever been in that situation? If you've been there, you know how discouraging of a circumstance that can be. But you see, there's more to this story. Yes, right may seem wrong when we see Joseph do what is right and yet appear to suffer for it. But behind the roller coaster of unpredictable circumstances is the presence of God with Joseph. And God's presence in the midst of the changing circumstances is constant. And God's presence is also active. It's actively bringing about God's good and perfect will. But it's not just for Joseph in Genesis chapter 39. The same is true for you and for me today. Genesis chapter 39, church, teaches us this. When circumstances seem unfair, God's loving presence is constant and active. When circumstances seem unfair, God's presence, his loving presence, is constant and in our lives, and it is active. As we study this chapter, one of the things I want us to do is to learn from Joseph's example here. Uh, well, one of the reasons we have these stories in God's Word, uh, the Bible tells us, is that we can learn from them. Now, we have seen a lot of bad examples in recent chapters in Genesis. Can I get an amen on that? Right? There's there have been some. There's been a lot of well. This is what he did, this is what she did, but we don't want to make those choices. Uh, we finally get to a, a, a chapter with a person that we can actually say, hey, there's some, there's some good here that we could actually um, try to put into practice in our own lives. And so we definitely want to learn from Joseph's good example. But listen, Joseph is not the hero of the story. God is the hero of the story. In fact, this passage is less about Joseph and the good example he sets for us and more about God magnifying his own faithfulness and holiness and sovereignty through his presence with Joseph in the midst of Joseph's seemingly unfair circumstances. At the end of chapter 37, if you'll recall, Joseph's brothers had sold him into slavery and faked his death. The chapter ended with these words. Meanwhile, the Midianites had sold him in Egypt, uh, sold him to Egypt to Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard. And then chapter 38 seemed to be a little bit of an interlude. We saw Judah, Joseph's brother, uh, make some really bad choices, but we saw how that's a link in the overall story of the Bible leading us to the Messiah. And then we get to chapter 39, and it opens right where chapter 37 left off. Now Joseph had been brought down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard, an Egyptian, had bought him from the Ishmaelites, who had brought him down there. So Joseph is now a slave in a foreign country. Why? Because he was a really bad person? No, because his brothers didn't like him. That's why he's there. His brothers didn't like him. In fact, if you'll think back to chapter 37, it was actually Joseph's obedience to his father's instructions to go and check on his brothers that set up the circumstances for his brothers selling him into slavery. Joseph's situation went from pretty good, living with his father and being treated kind of like royalty. If you remember, he was given a fancy coat. Now, his brothers didn't like him, but his father really loved him. His circumstances went from pretty good to really awful. Now he's living in slavery, and from Joseph's perspective, all he had done was be obedient to his daddy. He had honored his father. His father said, go check on your brothers, and he did. He didn't go off and and disobey disobey daddy. He went and did what his father said, and now his circumstances have gotten worse worse. In that light, Joseph could definitely make the claim that he had been treated unfairly. And it's in these moments that if we're not careful, church, we will be tempted to doubt God's presence and his goodness in our lives. But look at verse 2. The Lord was with Joseph. Hopefully notice as we were reading that passage, that's a key phrase. We see it repeated four times in this passage, that the Lord was with Joseph. In this passage where Joseph is tossed up and down from unfair slavery to success, to temptation, to false accusation, to false imprisonment, to more success, we are told that the Lord was with Joseph. The one constant in Joseph's life was the Lord's presence. And at the end of the day, church, that was the most important thing Joseph could have had. But it's important to remember this, that God's presence is not an easy button in life. It's not a get-out-of-jail-free card that we just cash in whenever something doesn't go our way and automatically our circumstances improve. It doesn't mean our circumstances will just get better and better and better, even when we are doing the right thing. The purpose of God's presence, please hear this, the purpose of God's presence in our lives is not merely to perform the function of an escape pod when it comes to suffering in this life, but to give us the grand privilege of being used by God to showcase His glorious activity in us and through us regardless of our circumstances so that we learn to trust Him and depend on Him more and more and more. And sometimes he showcases his glorious activity by allowing our circumstances to worsen so that his character will shine all the more brightly. So what glorious attributes of God are on display in this passage through his constant presence? How is God's presence active when right seems wrong? Let me share with you three truths under this banner of truth that God's love that God's presence is constant and active in the midst of unfair circumstances. The first is this church. We see this in verses 1 through 6 that God is with us in moments of rejection to magnify his faithfulness. God is with us in moments of rejection to magnify his faithfulness. We've said that Joseph was unfairly rejected by his brothers. Yes, if we think back, he had been a bit of a tattletale, right? A bit of a spoiled brat. But he had done nothing that warranted them selling him into slavery. But God was with Joseph, and God used his presence there in chapter 39 to bless Joseph. And through blessing Joseph, God magnified his own faithfulness to his promises. We see here that Joseph became a successful man in Potiphar's house. Now he's still a slave, he still belongs to Potiphar, but he becomes a successful man in that situation. Verse 3 specifically tells us that even Potiphar's attention was directed towards the Lord. We don't know if Potiphar worshipped Yahweh, probably not but his, direction was atten- uh, his attention was directed to Joseph's God, to Yahweh. Verse 3, his master saw that the Lord, Yahweh, was with him and that the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. And the result of Joseph's successful service to Potiphar was that Potiphar put Joseph in char- charge of his entire household. He was a great manager of the house. And twice we're told that the Lord blessed Potiphar through Joseph. Verse 5, look at that. From the time that he made him overseer in his house and put him in charge of all that he had, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. The blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in house and field. And one of the things you hear me say over and over is that we must read a passage in light of the context of the rest of God's word. If we isolate passages out of their context, we will end up misinterpreting the meaning of the passage and we will miss out on celebrating how great our God is. You say, how is God magnifying his faithfulness here in this passage in verses 1 through 6? Well, let me take you for just a moment back to Genesis chapter 12. You remember there, God made promises to Abraham, and I'm going to read all of them, but let me read part of those promises. God said to Abraham, I will bless you and make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Guess what? God is proving his faithfulness to that promise through Abraham's great-grandson, Joseph, as he serves as a slave in Potiphar's house. How do you see that? Well, first, God is blessing him with success in his work. God had promised to bless Abraham. We see Joseph experiencing blessing. Yes, it was as a slave, but he is still being blessed by God. Second, we see God uh, fulfilling this promise and the fact that God is blessing Potiphar for blessing Joseph. Potiphar is treating Joseph well. And in return, God is blessing Potiphar's house. So remember, those who bless you, God says to Abraham, which goes then to his offspring, Joseph, I will bless. Those who bless you, I will bless. We see that happening in this passage. And then third, the text there um, in, in Genesis 39 specifically says, the Lord blessed the Egyptians' house for Joseph's sake. It's very clear to point out that this wasn't another, another family member of the family of Abraham that was being blessed. This was someone from another nation. This was an Egyptian whose house was being blessed. Do you remember the promise? In you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Now this isn't a, this isn't a complete fulfillment of those Abrahamic promises. It's a partial fulfillment, but it is evidence that God is working on a much deeper level than just the surface level circumstances that Joseph is facing. God is showcasing in this instance in Joseph's life, his glorious activity. God is magnifying the faithfulness, his faithfulness through his constant presence with Joseph. And Joseph gets to be a part of it. Church, praise God that in moments of rejection, when we feel like we're being treated unfairly, God is with us and He is at work showcasing His faithfulness in our lives. Praise God. Praise God that as we trust in God's presence, we get to be used by Almighty God to magnify His faithfulness. Not just in our own lives, to ourselves, but to those around us as we continue to trust in His presence, even in the midst of those unfair circumstances. Let me share with you another truth that we see here as we look at God's constant and active presence in the midst of unfair circumstances. Truth number two is this church, God is with us in moments of temptation to magnify his holiness. God is with us in moments of rejection to magnify his faithfulness. God is with us also in moments of temptation. Why? To magnify his holiness. Even though he's in slavery, Joseph is experiencing the blessing of God. I mean, he is the number one man in charge of the house of the captain of the guard of Egypt. Potiphar isn't just some random person, uh, a commoner. He's the captain of the king's guard. And Joseph is number one in his house. He's left everything in Joseph's care, but temptation was lurking around the corner. In fact, it was living in the same house as Joseph. The end of verse 6 provides us with, uh, I would say, some unusual information. I mean, it's not something that we're expecting to hear. It tells us that Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. I go, well... Good for him, right? I mean, why, why do we need? Why do I need to know that Joseph was handsome in form and appearance? Why does Why does God's word tell us that? Well, it's because someone is noticing his handsome form and his handsome appearance, and that someone is Potiphar's wife. Verse seven tells us that Potiphar's wife cast her eyes on Joseph, and we know that it was a lustful casting of the eyes because what followed the casting of the eyes was a very simple statement, a very simple command, really. Lie with me, she said. Seems so innocent, right? Lie with me. Lie with me. I think it's worth noting, church, that God's presence with Joseph did not make him immune to temptation. God's presence with Joseph did not make him immune to temptation. Just because God was with Joseph, and just because Joseph was experiencing the blessing of God, didn't mean that temptation could not reach him. Brothers and sisters, there is never a time in life when we can let our guard down when it comes to the schemes of the evil one. And one of the the times in life when it's easy to let our guard down is when everything seems to be going well. Now, obviously, everything is not going perfectly in Joseph's life. He obviously would rather not be a slave, but he does seem to be working his way up. Things seem to be getting better and better and better and better for him. But he can't let his guard down. Thankfully, Joseph responded well. Look at verse 8. Simple phrase. Lie with me. A simple response. But he refused. He didn't think about it. He didn't toy around with the idea. The text just tells us. he He refused. He refused. He refused. Church, oh, that those words could be said about you and me every time temptation knocks on the door of our hearts. Every time a complaint started to roll off of our lips, Every time lustful thought passed through our minds, every time jealousy crept in from the shadows, every time anger started boiling up inside of us, every time greediness began clouding our vision with dollar signs or with more, the thought of more stuff, every time a seductive picture or video popped up on the screen, every time worry started taking the place of trust in God's goodness. Oh church, may it be said of us as Christians, as followers of Jesus, but He refused, but she refused. Joseph here does set a great example for us. He sees through the opportunity to experience sexual pleasure and focuses on the hurt and destruction and guilt before God that this sin would bring into his life, and he acts accordingly. Notice briefly with me four ways that I think Joseph exemplifies ways that we can, we can fight temptation in our lives. Uh, Let me just give these to you quickly. The first two are internal. The second two are more external. First, we need to resist sin by loving others. We want to resist sin by loving others. You say, where do you see that in, in this passage? Well, I think Joseph expresses love for his master in this passage. When he refused, Joseph said this, Behold, because of me, my master has no concern about anything in the house, and he's put me in charge of everything. Is he, not, uh, he is not greater in this house than I am, nor has he kept back anything, anything from me except yourself, because you are his wife. And so in his choice to refuse the temptation, he is, he is loving his master He is looking upon his master with with love and respect and saying, I'm not going to do this because that's going to be an offense against my master. That's going to hurt him. And so I'm not going to do it. Joseph was thinking about his master. He showed care and concern for him. And I think much of our sinning would be avoided if we loved others well. If we thought about how our actions were going to hurt and impact those around us. Want to love others well will help us to resist sin. A second way we see Him resist sin, and this is primary in this passage, is this. We resist sin by respecting God's holiness. We resist sin by respecting God's holiness Notice what Joseph says. He calls this act a great wickedness and sin against God. He's not just concerned about how his master is going to respond. He says, How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? Joseph knew if he gave in to this temptation, he wouldn't merely be offending Potiphar and putting his own, Joseph's own, high position in the house in jeopardy. For Joseph, it wasn't merely about protecting his job. Well, I'm not going to do that because it'll get me in trouble and then I'll get demoted and and bad things might happen. For Joseph, that wasn't the greatest motivation to not sin. It was the holiness of God. He viewed this temptation for what it was, an offense against the holy God, even if Potiphar had never found out. Even if he was able to keep his status, Joseph was able to keep his status as the manager of the house and at the same time enjoy pleasure with Potiphar's wife. And and even if he got away with it and no one ever knew, God would know. And God would be offended because God is holy. For Joseph, God's standard in this situation, in this moment, God's holiness was the mark for which he was aiming. Last week, we talked about the need to take sin seriously as God takes sin seriously. And unlike Judah in chapter 38, Joseph in chapter 39 takes sin seriously, which speaks volumes to his view of God. He viewed God as holy and worthy of his obedience. Church, we must view God for who he is. He is holy and he is worthy of obedience. And therefore, we want to take sin seriously. Whether or not we take sin seriously speaks volumes about who we believe God to be. He is holy in all of His ways. And those first two ways of resisting sin are more internal, right? This love for others and this, and this desire to, to, to honor the holiness, respect and re- give reverence to the holiness of God. The second two are external. Uh, we want to resist sin by staying away from it. It's so the third way we resist sin, by staying away. Now, this ought to seem obvious, but oh, how we fail to put it into practice. Notice verse 10, and as she spoke to Joseph day after day, right? It, 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 this temptation did not was not just one and done. Day after day after day, she is speaking to Joseph and encouraging him to commit sin with her. He would not listen to her, the text says, to lie beside her or to be with her. Notice how he sets up these boundaries away from the temptation. Not only is he refusing to lie with her, he's refusing to be with her. Because of his status as a slave, he was forced to do what Potiphar wanted him to do. Joseph couldn't just go quit his job and go find another job. He couldn't say, well, I got I to, gotta, he, he, he was a slave. He had to be there, but he did everything in his power to distance himself from that temptation. He refused to spend time with Potiphar's wife. He didn't linger in her presence. He didn't hang around for long talks. He refused to even be with her. A few weeks ago, my family had a run-in with an uh, unwelcomed guest, I guess you could say. That was a copperhead snake. Uh, we had a we had a we on a little walk and all the kids were there. We had a little run-in with that copperhead. Now my kids are curious. They like God's creation and they want to see up close and personal, right? Not you don't want to see things. You got to touch everything, right? You got to touch it all. And um and so you says we say snake and and actually some of them came running. Okay, <laughs> we want to see we want to see. Now what did I do in that moment? I knew it was a copperhead. What did I do? Did I say, all right, kids, gather around. Let's get as close as we can. Now, make sure it doesn't bite you, but get as close as you can so you can get as best view of it as possible. No, I didn't say that. I, I started putting a boundary up with my arms. It was an invisible boundary, I, like pretending like I have some force field. I don't, I don't have that ability. But I did. I went, whoa, like that, you know, step back. No, 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 I started. No, 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 don't, don't get close to it. That's what I said. Don't even get close to it. Oh, that our attitude would be that sin in our lives. that we wouldn't play around with it. that we wouldn't linger in its presence and think, oh, I, it's not going to hurt me. Oh, that we would just stay away from it to begin with. And then sometimes it just reaches out and grabs us out of nowhere. And so a fourth way that we resist sin is simply by fleeing from it. It's simply by fleeing from it. Sometimes even when we are doing our best to stay away from temptation, temptation just hits us out of nowhere. We weren't out looking for it. It's just, bam, right there in our face. What do we do? One day, Potiphar's wife stopped trying to merely seduce Joseph with her words. She grabbed hold of his garment and said, lie with me. What was Joseph's response? He ran. He ran. The text tells us he ran. He got out of there. He got out of the house. He took off. He left his garment in her hand and fled and got out of the house. Folks, sometimes you just have to run. Sometimes you just have to drop everything and get out of that situation of temptation as fast as you can. You click X on that computer screen and you shut it down quick. You call somebody, teenagers. You call a parent and say, come get me now. i got to get out of this situation. Sometimes you just flee. You run and you and You just go. You don't think about what's happening except I got to get away from this temptation. Why? Because God is holy and He's worthy of it. We've got to stay vigilant. We've got to keep our running shoes on when it comes to temptation and be ready to bolt. We've got to keep in step with the Spirit of God in us so that we recognize those situations immediately so that we can run as quickly as we can away from sin and into the holiness of God. But remember, Joseph isn't the hero of the story, God is the hero. How was Joseph able to resist the temptation day after, day after day after day after day after day? The Lord was with him. The Lord was with him. You say, well, if God was with him, why didn't God keep all the temptation away from Joseph to begin with? I mean, what is God's presence doing in this situation if, if, if Joseph's just being bombarded day after day after day with the temptation? Church, God never promises us that we won't be tempted by sin. What He does promise is that there will always be a way out. There will always be a way to honor God when we face temptation. What God's presence does is it empowers us to resist the temptation. And as we face the temptation, but choose to resist the temptation, here's what God is doing. Magnifying His holiness in our lives and to those around us. In other words, God's constant presence means moments of temptation are actually opportunities to proclaim to a watching world, hey, God is holy, Even when life isn't going my way, even though I've been treated unfairly, God is still worthy of my obedience and my reverence in my life. puts on display for us and others the holiness of God. Praise God, church. That in moments of temptation, when we feel like we're being treated unfairly, we can trust God's presence to be with us. And we can trust that God's going to use us as we resist temptation to magnify His holiness. Well, we continue in the story. Joseph runs out of the house. Potiphar's wife frames Joseph for adultery. She screams, the other workers run in. She claims that Joseph tried to take advantage of her. It's that phrase that he came in to laugh at me. It's kind of a euphemism, for he came in to to treat me wrongly. And, and so that's what she says that he did. Um, her husband gets home. He, she gives him the, story, the false version of the story. Uh, he gets really angry. She ignites his anger even more by placing the blame somewhat on him by saying, this servant of yours, this servant that you brought into that house has, has tried to do this with me. All of it's a lie, of course. Potiphar gets angry. He throws Joseph in prison. Joseph did what was right, church. He resisted day after day after day, and when it grabbed hold of him, he took off running in the other direction, and where does he find himself? Being treated as though he did what was wrong. Once again, right seems wrong. We often think something good should always come immediately from our way when we do what is right, but that's not the way that God works But we can trust that God's presence is constant and active, even in those circumstances that seem, that appear to be unfair. We continue to see God's presence at work in this passage, not only magnifying his faithfulness, not only magnifying his holiness, but church, third and finally, magnifying his sovereignty. Third truth is this, God is with us in moments of injustice to magnify his sovereignty. God is with us in moments of injustice to magnify His sovereignty. Remember, we speak of God's sovereignty. It means God's perfect control over all things. It's really the main theme of of the story and life of Joseph. So Joseph here gets thrown into prison, but notice verse 21, 22, 23. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love, and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. The keeper of the prison put Joseph in charge of all the prisoners who were in the prison. Whatever was done there, he was the one who did it. The keeper of the prison paid no attention to anything that was in Joseph's charge. Why? Because the Lord was with him. And whatever he did, the Lord made it succeed. This is the third and the fourth time the passage tells us the Lord was with Joseph. His location may have changed. His status changed may have changed. His reputation because of the false accusations may have changed. But God's presence with Joseph did not change. God was with Joseph even in prison. And the text is very specific to tell us that God was showing Joseph steadfast Love. That means love That it's not weakened, it's not taken away in any bit. It is steadfast, it is remaining through all of that. Again, we get so caught up in the current circumstances of our lives that we sometimes forget that God is doing a work we can't see, even in the moment. It's so easy for us to accuse God of not caring just because our circumstances may worsen. But He is always with His people, and He's not just with us, but He's always showing you and me as His people, steadfast, unending, unchanging love. His presence is always at work, accomplishing His good and perfect will. You you say, well, what in the world is God doing by allowing Joseph to be wrongly imprisoned? What in the world is God doing by allowing Joseph to experience this injustice Church, God was positioning Joseph to become the savior of his family and of Egypt and of many other nations. I don't want to get ahead too much in the story, but Joseph is eventually going to get promoted to second in command, not just in the prison or somebody's house, but of all of Egypt. He's going to be promoted to second in command, and God's going to use him to preserve life throughout a seven-year famine. And guess how Pharaoh, who promotes Joseph to that position, hears about Joseph well he hears about him from a guy who Pharaoh threw into prison who met Joseph while he was in prison and guess how that man met Joseph in prison it was because everything Joseph did succeeded and so Joseph was placed as we read in the text in chapter 39 over all the other prisoners that's how they met and how did Joseph succeed in all that he did in prison the Lord was with him the Lord was with him And so it was no accident that the Egyptian who bought Joseph was the captain of the guard, which means when he threw Joseph into prison, he threw him in the prison where the king's prisoners were kept. The text tells us in verse 20, which meant that Joseph would eventually have the opportunity to meet someone closely connected to Pharaoh. Joseph was not in that particular prison by accident nor was he succeeding in all that he did by accident. The Lord was with him. Yes, his circumstances appeared to be worsening. He went from slave to prisoner, but God was in control the whole time. He was sovereign over everything that was happening. Years later, Joseph would tell his brothers, you meant this for evil, but God meant it for good. Church, the same thing could be said about Potiphar's wife. You meant this for evil, but God meant it for good. Praise God that in moments of injustice, when we feel like we're being treated unfairly, we can trust in God's presence and be used by Him to showcase, to magnify His sovereignty for ourselves and those around us. Joseph's circumstances were a roller coaster. Unfairly sold into slavery, promoted to top slave, thrown into prison, promoted to top prisoner, but there was this constant in his life and it was the presence of God and God's presence wasn't doing nothing. I know that's bad English, but his presence wasn't doing nothing. His presence was active. It was active. It was at work. His presence in Joseph's life meant that Joseph was able to be used to bring God glory through those moments of rejection and temptation and injustice. God turned those moments of rejection and temptation and, and, and injustice into moments of magnifying the glory of God by showcasing His faithfulness and His holiness and His sovereignty over all things. Friend, perhaps you're in a season of life where it seems like life is unfair. You're trying to honor God, but it seems like your circumstances just keep getting worse. Maybe you're a little confused. Maybe for you today, right seems wrong. If you're a follower of Jesus, then please know this. God is with you, and He is at work in you and through you for His glory. Trust His faithfulness. Pursue His holiness. Rest in His sovereign plan. Perhaps you're in a season of life today where your life is just being ruled by sin. And it's being ruled by sin because you're a slave to sin. You're a slave to sin because that's how you were born, and you have never received God's gift of salvation that sets you free from that sin. Friend, Joseph is a good example in this story, but Joseph can't save you from your sin. If we walk away from this passage just saying, I'm going to try to be more like Joseph, I'm going to just do a better job of getting rid of sin in my life and resisting temptation, and then God will love me and and I'll be good with God, that's not how it works. Thankfully, the story of Joseph doesn't just tell us about Joseph, actually It points us to the one who can save us from our sin. You see, there was another man who was treated unfairly. He resisted temptation on a far greater level than Joseph ever dreamed about because this man resisted temptation his entire life and never sinned. The same cannot be said about Joseph. And yet, as he resisted temptation over and over and over again, he was falsely accused and he was falsely arrested And as he walked in perfect holiness day after day, his circumstances just got worse and worse and worse and worse to the point that he was put to death for a crime that he never committed. You know who I'm talking about, church? I'm talking about Jesus, our Lord and Savior. He lived a perfect life but was put to death. It was the greatest injustice that the world has ever known. But God, praise the Lord, Sovereign, even over that injustice, for that greatest of human injustices turned out to be God's divine justice in saving sinners from their sin. When Jesus died on the cross, He paid the price for our sins. He satisfied God's wrath towards our sins so that if we would believe in Him, we would be saved. And then He rose up from the dead, meaning that if we'll trust in Him, be forgiven of our sins, then the presence of Jesus through His Spirit lives in us forever. And then we get in this life, and then when this life is over, we will live in the presence of Jesus forever and ever and ever. God took the greatest injustice of all time and turned it into salvation for all who would believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's our God. That's the God that we are here today to worship. That's the God that we serve day in and day out. That's our Lord that is with us constantly and is constantly active in our lives. That's the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's the good news for sinners. And so, friend, is God calling you today to trust in Christ to rescue you from your sin so that you can be set free so that you can have His presence with you day after day after day at work in your life, regardless of the circumstances of your life. If you need to trust in Christ today, do that. The Bible tells us we just admit our sin to the Lord, we confess that to Him, and we ask Him to save us through what Jesus did through His death and resurrection, that we cry out to Him and say, God, save me, I am a sinner. But Jesus has done everything to save me, and I believe in Him. God is at work. His presence is constant and it is active. His glory is being put on display as we trust His presence day in and day out. Let's rejoice in that church, regardless of our circumstances, no matter how unfair they may be. Let's let God's glory shine brightly. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for your word. Thank you. For Jesus, thank you that he resisted sin as no one else has perfectly and yet was willing to suffer though he did not deserve it. Thank you that we get to be the beneficiaries of his unjust suffering suffering, which turned out from your perspective to be just as you justly paid the price for our sin by punishing your son. Father, thank you for your presence. Lord, may it lead us to magnify you. Not to just wish for better circumstances, but in the midst of the unfair circumstances, to magnify your faithfulness, your holiness, your sovereignty in our lives. Father, help us. We need you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.